Good morning, Living Stones. Some of you are wondering, what is he doing up there? I feel like the co-pilot who is being allowed to pilot on takeoff. After we get through most of the flight, the pilot will come back up and land us. But this morning, I am up here uh, representing your elders to uh, talk to family for a while. Uh, before I get into the message, uh, I, d- I did notice on Facebook yesterday that Bryce and Carolyn Coleman are celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary this weekend, and I want you to join me in congratulating them. And Bryce is signaling he's giving all the credit to Carolyn, but uh, I was talking to Bryce as he came in this morning. He was telling me about his hippie days before he got married, and I'm trying to imagine Bryce in a ponytail, but I just can't quite get there yet. But uh, he wasn't at Woodstock, but at least uh, he had his time. So we congratulate them. As many of you, maybe all of you know from an email that went out last Sunday uh, from Pat that Kyle Stork has uh, submitted his resignation as our youth minister. He's not leaving Living Stones, but he's going to devote more time. He thinks that the time has come in his uh, life where he needs to devote more time to family because now he's got Cooper uh, to deal with besides Lacey. I hesitate to refer to Cooper as his mini Cooper, but, uh, <laughs> but he, he's a sweet little guy and he needs all the attention that he can get from mom and dad. And uh, we all come to that spot in our lives where we have adjustments that we need to make to our lives. And uh, I'll share with you in a moment some that I made, uh, but I understand uh, Kyle's reasoning in it and we support him and We're glad that he and Lacey are still going to be part of our family here, and we appreciate all that uh, he has done in working with our youth over the last year and a half or so. And so uh, I want you to express your appreciation, if you will, to Kyle and Lacey for all that they've done and that they continue to do. I want to ask, just for a show of hands, now with these lights up here, I really can't see you. Uh, But if you have been here at Living Stones for 15 years or more, would you raise your hand? Okay, there's a few of you, but the majority of you here haven't been here that long, which is good. Not good that you were here, but (laughs) we're glad you're here now is what I'm trying to convey. And so uh, what I want to do is provide you Uh, with some background to the history of our congregation. Um, I think it's beneficial, and I'll explain it more in a moment, why we would do that. Because I'm sure that those of you who have begun attending more recently, and some of you within the last couple of years, I'm still trying to associate names with faces and let my cognitive powers uh, kick in every so often, Uh, And it's not always successful, so you'll forgive me if I uh, address you. My dad used to do this. He couldn't remember names, so he would say uh, to somebody he couldn't remember the name, he said, how do you spell your last name again? Until they said J-O-N-E-S, and uh, he had to go to another uh, strategy. But uh, 
I think it's important for you to realize who the Livingstones are and how we got here. And I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I was a history minor. And uh, there have been times over the years that I wish I had majored in history, but I've always loved history. And one of the things that uh, has taken place in the last 50 to 75 years is that we have been conducting what are called oral histories. And what oral histories are, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a collection and study of historical information using sound recordings of interviews with people having personal knowledge of past events. And so this morning, if I were going to entitle this lesson to anything, I would say this is an oral history of the Livingstones Church. And the reason I think it would be beneficial to us is just think how terrific it would be if we could hear the voice of George Washington commenting on what he experienced in his perspectives in the establishment of this nation. Or going and hearing the voice of Abraham Lincoln as he talks about the gut-wrenching experiences and decisions he had to make in trying to hold the Union together and fighting the Civil War. So I feel like I'm qualified to give a living history of this congregation because besides my wife, I am the longest attending member of this congregation. For 52 years now, my wife and I, now she probably has two minutes ahead of me because I think I dropped her off the door and she came on in first. <laughs> so I want to give credit where credit is due, but we've been here for 52 years. Now the second longest in this congregation is Dana Newport, who's been here for 49 years. Uh, but Diana's older than I am, so I just want to point that out. <clears throat> but I have known folks who have been part of the process of forming this congregation from the very beginning. They're no longer here. Uh, most of them have passed on. Uh, but this congregation began long before they started meeting here at 718 East Don Moyer Avenue. We were originally known as the Don Moyer Avenue Church of Christ. And we were that for many, many years, starting in 1956. But the beginning of this congregation really precedes that by about a half a century, or 30 years at least. It began because Southerners were transplanted from the South to South Bend to work at Studebaker's or Oliver's or some other local industry. And uh, when they came up, they were looking for the church that they had belonged to down in the South, which for them was the Church of Christ, and they didn't find any. And so they began meeting in the home of a family called Piety. Uh, and uh, as that assembly in that home grew larger and larger, they looked for another place to meet to accommodate their growing numbers. And we had some of the piety children attending this congregation since Diane and I came here. Uh, they had married names by then, but uh, they finally got the building that if you go on Mishawaka, on Lincoln Way, uh, be Lincoln Way West in Mishawaka, you'll see a white former church building that's called the Vogue Beauty College. And that's where they met for several years 
until they acquired a building over at Calvert and Caroline Streets, which still stands on the corner. Right now there's Spanish written on the sign outside, which I can't read. So, uh, But they met there until 1956. It was decided they, they would purchase this land and build a building here. And half of the congregation took off and started meeting here, and half remained there. And so the congregation began here at Donmore Avenue in 1956 in March of that year. And the building as it was constructed was built this section on back to the wall just behind uh, Katie's office. And there was nothing beyond that. The parking lot out here was not paved. It was not paved up through the 80s into the 90s, uh, just pea gravel. Uh, But that congregation, their first preacher's name was Jim Boyd, and they were part of something called the Restoration Movement. That's where the Churches of Christ came out of, the Restoration Movement. What the Restoration Movement was, there were leaders in the country back in the early 1800s who decided that we needed to restore New Testament Christianity. Uh, They had gotten tired of all of the denominational uh, hierarchies that had developed over the years and all of the bureaucracies uh, that developed and decide they go back and they just uh, employ simple Christian behaviors and be like New Testament Christians, which I think was a laudable goal. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work out. And there were three movements that grew out of that restoration movement. One was the a cappella churches of Christ. And when I say a cappella, we didn't have instruments of music here when we worshiped. It was all four-part harmony spiritual songs and hymns. Uh, You knew whether you sang bass or tenor or alto or soprano. I switched between alto and bass. (laughs) I didn't have this voice mechanism that they could lower my... I I could have been a great bass if I'd have had this, but uh, daddy sang bass, mama sang tenor, and me and little brother would join right in there. but that's the way we did it. And the preacher was not the pastor because that pastor in the New Testament referred to elders or shepherds of the congregation. So he was just called the preacher or the evangelist. And they didn't use titles like reverend. That would have been sacrilegious. And so it was very plain. And this building you're sitting in here was a very plain building. All of these walls up until the 90s, almost 2,000, were just cement block. The pulpit from which they preached was right back here in front of the drum set. And this stage wasn't here. We had two rows of pews that came down each aisle all the way to the front here. And uh, that continued. Now, the first preacher who preached here was a man by the name of Jim Boyd. And up until, uh, I'll tell you later, another preacher came along he had the longest tenure of any preacher here at the Delmar Amateur Christ. He lasted six years. That was extraordinary. Three years was the average. Pat, you've already passed that. Uh, and so that's good. And so uh, the, they would have a series of preachers come in. We had elders. And we tried to do things uh, to serve the community, but it was really more inwardly focused. And the reason I'm providing this information is because 
I think is beneficial because if you go back to the Old Testament, what you read is that the people in the Old Testament, when they became discouraged and they began looking in other directions other than following God's will, God sent prophets among them to remind them of where they had come from. He told them the story again of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would remind them of how Moses, when they were taken off and lived in Egypt, and then finally were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and then were freed by the mighty hand of God, how that Moses led them out into the wilderness for 40 years until they went into the land of promise. But even after they got into the land of promise, they wanted to be like all the nations around them. And so they asked for a king. And so God gave them a king, Saul. And Saul messed up. And then David. And then David was a great king, but he messed up too. And then Solomon. And Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. And I don't know how he ever got in the bathroom. <laughs> but these prophets... And emissaries of God came and delivered the story of their beginning. So that's why I'm talking about our history as a congregation. And when this had happened, this church met on Sunday morning for Bible study. It had a morning worship, Sunday evening worship. We had a Wednesday evening Bible study. And if you didn't attend every one of those services, you were on the edge of being not quite faithful. Now, I will testify to, that my wife and I came every single time. But that's not to pat myself on the back. That's to make me wonder what was the purpose of it. We had what was called uh, a Does God Exist program that we sponsored for years. And one of our members was a man by the name of John Clayton. Some of you may, if you went to Raleigh High School or maybe at one time Jackson High School, uh, may have had John for a science class, but John was a science teacher, and John was raised by uh, atheist parents. His dad was a professor at Indiana University, and uh, uh, his mother, who attended a couple of times uh, in her old age, uh, John was raised an atheist, but he met his wife, Phyllis, his first wife, Phyllis, uh, at Bloomington, and she uh, somehow got him to believe in God. And uh, as a result, he started accumulating evidences out of science for the existence of God. I remember the first time I heard John, I was a freshman at Harding College in Searcy, Arkansas in 1967, and John came to speak at their annual Thanksgiving lectureship. And so I thought, well, this is a guy from Indiana coming here. I think I'll go listen to him. Little did I know that someday I would be in the same congregation with John. But that was a, a, a nationwide ministry in which he went and held lectures all over the country. But this congregation sponsored that. Uh, and uh, then back in 1970, they began something called the South Bend School of Personal Evangelism. They brought a man by the name of Bob Dankelson here to direct that. Bob had developed and became famous for showing what were called the Jewel Miller film strips. And it was five lessons on a film strip. Uh, and by the fifth lesson, if you weren't baptized, you weren't listening very close. Uh, and there was a personal evangelism magazine that featured Bob and his work one day. And Dick and Diana Newport, who had just recently been baptized in 1974, were featured on the front cover of that magazine. I still have it at my house somewhere. Uh, 
But that lasted for about three years, and then Bob went to Louisiana to direct the same kind of work down there. But I want to tell you about my personal investment in the congregation. As I said, we moved here in 1971 and started attending. I went to work for the Internal Revenue Service. You've probably heard of them. And uh, I'm not a whistleblower, but I can whistle. Uh, <clears throat> and in 1973, a friend of mine and I uh, were sort of looking for something different to do, and so we heard that the alcohol, tobacco, firearms was hiring, and we went to Chicago to talk to them to see about what the possibilities were. We had an elder here at the time whose name was Charles Hoggett. Uh, Charles and his wife Maxine were some of the original members, uh, and in 1973, Charles had suffered a heart attack and was in a hospital and was in serious condition. Uh, and he got out, but in August of that year, his wife Maxine died after taking care of him in the hospital. And Charles and Maxine had been childhood sweethearts. They were born on the same day. They grew up together, went to school together, never dated anyone else, got married, ended up here as an elder and his wife. And less than 30 days after Maxine died, Charles passed away. But in September, I don't know how Charles found out about my trip to Chicago, but he heard that I had gone up there looking for work somewhere else. And I remember going out, this was two weeks before he passed away, and he stopped me just outside the doors here, and he says, I heard you went to Chicago looking for work. And I said, yeah, he says, we need you to stay here. And I didn't realize at the time what an impact that would have on me, but I gave up. Well, I couldn't have gone to ATF anyway. My eyes are too weak. But I, I just decided to stay here. But I wasn't really happy with working for the IRS at that time. 1975 came along, and uh, there was a vacancy for the preacher here. And one of the deacons, I had been appointed a deacon in 1974, and I filled in on the pulpit occasionally when the preacher would go on vacation. But one of the deacons said to the elders, why don't you give him a shot? And they did. And so I had what was called a tryout. And so I tried out, and they passed out slips of paper to the entire congregation. <laughs> they signed their names and said yes or no. And four people said no. <laughs> and I saw those slips. <laughs> and I conducted their funerals. <laughs> Not immediately. <clears throat> Not immediately. But I was hired in the summer of 1975 to be the preacher here. But I didn't officially begin until the first Sunday in September. And I never will forget the first Sunday in September. I had all that week I was going to make a loud splash with this great sermon I was going to deliver and let them know they'd made the right decision. And the, all the pews, it would have been right about here, the second pew, Bobby and Lou Gwen, a couple sat there every Sunday. That was their spot. And we were having our usual songs just before I was about to get up. And just before I was about to get up, Bobby decided to have a heart attack. <laughs> and so we're singing more songs while they're ministering to him. And the ambulance comes to take Bobby. And I remember them bringing the gurney in and wheeling him out this side door 
And just as he goes out the side door, he takes his offering and makes a production of handing it off to the usher. <laughs> Bobby had four bypasses. And to show you how things have changed, as I went up to visit him three days later, he was in his room sitting up in bed having a cigarette. <laughs> Times change. But that was back then. In 1976 to 1977, I not only was preaching here, but I also had a recorded radio program that aired each Sunday night on WHME that was entitled Search for Truth. That tells you kind of where we were as a congregation. We were always wondering about what was truth. In 1976, 1982, we hosted a preschool program that we called Mother's Day Out. It met two days a week. And the preschool kids, we had usually about 40 or so uh, enrolled in that, and that gave mothers a chance to get out and do some things on their own that we thought would, you know, serve the, the, the community. We had every year vacation Bible school. We drew from uh, the uh, Miami Hills apartments and from other area uh, kids in the area that came to our vacation Bible school. And I continued to preach here until 1987. So I took over Jim Boyd's record. Uh, but I went back to work for the IRS in 1983. And the reason I went back to the IRS is because uh, I had gone three years without a raise uh, because we couldn't afford it. The giving wasn't substantial. And I remember one time an elder in a meeting said, you know, if you need more money, your wife can always go get a job. So, okay, I did his funeral, too. Uh, <laughs> but when I went back to work for the IRS, I continued to preach here each Sunday for $100 a week until 1987. In 1986, I was appointed as an elder, so I've been an elder here for 37 years. And we've had a series of preachers since then. Some, at times, were graduate students from Notre Dame working on their doctorates. And we had men who would stand here and preach and actually read directly from the Koine Greek New Testament. We had one man who today is the dean of the School of, Theo uh, the School of Theology at Princeton uh, who uh, knew Hebrew. And I never will forget him saying, instead of Jehovah God, the correct Hebrew pronunciation was Yahweh. And he kept referring to Yahweh. And I remember Sarah our daughter coming in and sitting down next to her mother and saying, who's this Yahweh dude? Uh, well, that continued until 1996. And we were in need of a preacher again. And what had happened was that we had a young man who grew up here who had gone to Monroe who had gone to Jackson Middle School, who went to Riley and graduated from Riley. He went to Harding University, where I graduated from, and then he went on and got his master's degree from Abilene Christian. And so here was a homegrown resource that somehow we believed would be a good fit. And so we brought my son, Sam, here. And uh, he began preaching in 1996. Now, as part of his preaching, he challenged our thinking on some of our preconceived notions about 
faithful Christianity and what practicing New Testament Christianity was about. And not everyone was delighted with that. People began, I would call them the old guard, but they became suspicious. And others who heard about some of the changes that we were making in our style of worship. Uh, we hadn't introduced instruments yet, but they already writing blogs saying that uh, we were headed down a wrong path. Uh, and our family also had our faith challenged in April of 1987 when his first son Isaac, who was not quite two, was diagnosed with a cancerous tumor on one of his kidneys. And I never will forget, I was in Arkansas preaching for the funeral of my aunt down there in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And I called home to see how things were going, and Diane told me about uh, Isaac's uh, diagnosis. And my mother and father, I had driven them down there. We jumped in the car, drove straight back to Indiana. I never turned the radio on. I never prayed so hard in all my life. And I'm glad to tell you, he came through that fine. He had chemotherapy. The one bad thing was that uh, that December we were going to celebrate his recovery by going to Disney World. And that was the beginning of a bad journey for me. <laughs> I would have a Corvette parked out here right now if it hadn't been for all the kids. Because they kept adding grandkids, we had to go back and get them all involved. But one of the things that happened during Sam's ministry here is that our attendance began expanding. And one of the reasons it began expanding was because people were discontented in other congregations. And they left those congregations and started attending here because they enjoyed his preaching. And so our attendance grew. And with our attendance growing, we thought, well, maybe, maybe we ought to leave this building and go somewhere else. Maybe go and purchase some property on the bypass that would be more centralized so that we could retrieve all of these people who are discontented where they are and they could come and be with us. We were looking at the old Kmart property where Menards is now over here on Ireland Road. Uh, but we found out they wanted 4 to $5 million and that just wasn't going to happen. Um, so we were trying to figure out what's the best thing to do. Well, in 2001... Sam was about to turn 30, and he decided that just as Jesus had done when he turned 30, he was going to go on a 40-day fast. And he did. And the last 10 days he spent in isolation down at Ancilla College. Didn't talk to anybody. He, said, he told me one time he saw a nun attending a grave in the little cemetery they have there for the nuns. So he went out and had a great conversation with that nun in the cemetery. But one of the messages that he thought he was hearing from God was, why do you think you would be more faithful elsewhere if you haven't served where you are? And so we started losing attendance as we started cha making changes. And the attendance continued to go down until 2003. And that's when it seemed like the exodus would stop. But during that period of time, our finances were running low. We were living week to week. It didn't look like we could meet our obligations. And it seemed like in every turn where we faced that sort of a situation, God came along and provided. I never forget, we were in that condition. A man that, who didn't drive, he didn't have a car. I picked him up. He didn't live too far from my house. He, you would never guess 
that he would do this. But one day he decided he had $10,000 he wanted to give to the church. And so he got us out of a financial predicament. And we decided after that 2003, after the exodus had stopped, we were going to take a year looking for God and listening for God's direction. And we gradually introduced instruments to accompany our worship. Randy Templeton was the only other elder with me at the time. And I remember my mother, who was a solid a cappella Church of Christer, took Randy and I to the woodshed <laughs> because we were abandoning the faith. But at the same time, between then and 2006, we had people who would visit from out of town who were expecting to find the a cappella Church of Christ, and they'd come in and see a guitar up here, and they realized that's not what they had come for. And we decided, you know, it's only ethical that we not advertise ourselves as the Dalmar Ab Church of Christ. And that's when we changed our name to the Livingstones Church. And that change was predicated upon a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And at that time, many of you who were around back then will remember we had 40 days of continuous prayer held back in the last classroom in our wing, which was built in 1962. And in that wing we had a room where people were there every hour of the day, 24 hours a day for 40 straight days praying about our direction. And from that effort, there wasn't a single day or a single hour where somebody wasn't there doing that. And from that, we developed our mission and vision of dealing with the South Side and ministering to the South Side and being a congregation to the south side here. And as a result of that, we stopped our inward focus and we started serving others. And periodically we would do things like dismiss Sunday morning service and go and serve others by mowing lawns, uh, helping people with repairs, doing things like that in our neighborhood. And one of the great events that we had back in this period was something that... Uh, we had a day, a Saturday, where we partnered with a group called Samaritan's Feet. And if you were around back then, you remember we had this Saturday where every student from Monroe School came and they were given brand new sneakers. Some volunteered to cut hair. The children came in and men washed their feet, symbolic of our service. We had popcorn and other refreshments and bouncy things out here. But it was a great event. And it was a great time. And so we continued to grow. And eventually, we went to three services on a Sunday morning. And I never forget, one Easter, about six or seven years ago, we had over 900 attends on Easter Sunday with all three services. And then, after almost 22 years, Sam decided it was time for him to make a change. Like we all make changes. And so we had interim 
preachers. Adam Gustine was here for several months. In the last six months before Pat came, I filled in. But one of the things that happened after Pat came was within six months, we got hit with this thing called COVID. And we are still in the process of recovering from that impact. Our giving now is less than half of what it used to be, which limits the ways in which we can serve our community. And so what I'm here to tell you this morning is that we are in a stage of rebuilding. With paid staff now to a minimum, I see a great opportunity for us as a church, but as committed people, to be truly all in and to yield our gifts to serve this congregation. I've gone through this thumbnail history of this congregation to underline that when Whenever we thought it was on the downhill side, God intervened and always came through as long as we made our commitment to Him. So I'm encouraging you, if you're wondering what's going on with all this staff turnover recently and where are you headed as a church, I'm encouraging you not to worry or despair, but to see doors open for people who truly love the Lord to serve Him without reservation. God is not done with us yet. We have a future in this community, and we want God to direct it. The Apostle Paul went around and he preached and established churches throughout all of Asia Minor. And then as he was getting ready to be himself arrested by the Roman government and imprisoned, he met with the elders of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and he gave them a warning in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 28. And your elders here adhere to this and believe it. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. On behalf of the elders, my encouragement to you this morning is let us work together to make the next chapter of Living Stones be the greatest yet. Now the co-pilot's going to sit down and let the pilot land. Thank you very much, Chuck. I tell you, um, Chuck is a treasure. Um, he's a treasure to this church. and. I'm I'm extremely grateful for you just sharing not just the history but also your history here as well, um, and and I and I appreciate just the historical perspective that Chuck brings as well is that you know through through all of it there there's a long history a long story of of what God has been doing here and there have been ups and downs and ebbs and flows and hills and valleys, all of that, and yet God has still remained faithful even in the middle of it. And, and so I wanted to talk for just a moment uh, 
just about kind of, all right, so where do we go from here? You know, Chuck kind of gave us a historical perspective looking back. All right, so looking forward, so, so now what? And, and so I want to begin just by acknowledging a, a couple things. First is I, I know that it is hard and it's difficult. Like it, it has been, this, these last number of years have brought a lot of changes, a lot of changes. There have been staff changes, changes within the church, changes outside of the church and just in society. And when there's a lot of upheaval, when there is a lot of change, it's, it's hard, it's difficult, it can, it can be scary because by its nature, change brings uncertainty. It brings uncertainty that, that we might feel uneasy because we're, we're not sure, all right, what is this going to look like? How is it going to feel? What's it going to be like in, in the future? And I, I've been reading a, a book recently. It's called Canoeing the Mountains, and it's by uh, Todd Bolzinger. And in the book, he uses the, the Lewis and Clark expedition as kind of a metaphor uh, in, in, a, in a leadership context. And so in the book, he, he's sharing about how Lewis and Clark, when they first started out on, on their journey, on their expedition, they, they canoed. They were, they were using the waterways, rivers, and, and, and all of that as they were making their way west. But that everything changed once they hit the Rocky Mountains. That the things, that, that how they had gotten to the Rocky Mountains was now not going to get them over the mountains. They couldn't canoe their way up the Rocky Mountains. They needed, they needed a shift. They needed a change in how they were thinking. That, that because the landscape has changed, because they were no longer in, in the plains and in the Midwest where things are, are mostly flat and easily uh, navigable, once they hit the Rockies, the, the methods and, and the techniques that they had used that had gotten them there were now no longer going to work. They were going to have to rethink, all right, how do we proceed forward? How do we, how do we if, if, because what got us here is not going to get us there. And so we need to rethink it. We need to revisit that. And, and because the landscape has changed, the way they traveled and the way they progressed would have to change as well. And in some ways, I feel like we are in a, a similar place that the cultural landscape has changed. And so we're also, as a church, as a society, we're also going to have to adjust as well if we're going to be effective in making a difference for the kingdom of God. And, and you think about it, like since, since COVID, there's been a lot of significant shifting that has happened just in society overall. You know, some commentators have, have called it the, the great uh, resignation or the great reshuffle. Where, where there's just been this, this massive sea change that, that people have had, where, where you know, in, in, there's been a huge sea change just in people's employment, where beginning in, beginning in late 2020 and early 2021, there's been a large trend of people leaving their jobs, finding another way of earning a living. But this great reshuffle isn't just limited to employment. It also takes place, has taken place within relationships. There's been a spike in, in divorce, since COVID has happened. Along with that, a, a delay in people getting married or postponing marriage altogether. The same is true with just commitments to other organizations and, and groups as well. Another big sea change is the World Health Organization has said that there has been a 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression since COVID, and that percentage is even larger for our younger people. We're also in the middle of a decades-long distrusting of institutions. There's been an erosion in, in the, 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 the amount of trust that people have in institutions, whether it be government, 
school, media, healthcare, law enforcement, the judicial system, church, higher education, I mean, you name it, the trust that was once enjoyed by many institutions is no longer there. And I say this not to discourage, but to actually illustrate that, yes, indeed, the landscape has changed. The landscape has changed. We've hit the Rocky Mountains, and if we are going to continue forward, we need to, we need to evaluate. How do we navigate this new landscape that is in front of us? And that's kind of at the crux of what I just want to share briefly. That as Chuck stated, you know, before, like, we are a part of this body. Every one of us. We, we play a part in this body. We all have different roles within this body of Christ, within this church family. We all have different functions. But every single one of us is essential. Every one of us is important. And, and with that in mind, our leadership team, as a leadership team, we want to personally invite you into the process of charting this next chapter in the story of Livingstone's church. We want to invite you into that process. We, we don't want you as a church family to just be passive recipients, but we want you to be active participants in crafting what does it look like for our church to move forward. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Proverbs 15.22 says that plans fail for lack of a counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. And, and we believe that God has placed you here. That you're not here by mistake, you're not here by accident, but that you are meant to be here for this time in the history of our church. And we also believe that God speaks to you. God speaks to you. Just because somebody has the title of pastor or of elder doesn't mean that we have some kind of like special direct pipeline to the throne of God. It doesn't work that way. But God has given every person who's a part of this congregation unique experiences, thoughts, ideas, personalities, passions that just bring a richness to the church family. And we know that God speaks to you. God speaks through you as well. And so allow me to explain what we'd like to ask of you as, as, as a part of this church body as a part of this church family, that, that in the months of June, July, and August, we're going to have three special, we don't even know what we're calling them, but like family conversations. We're going to have one per month on June 21st, July 19th, and August 16th. These are, uh, these are Wednesday nights. I'll come back to those dates again in just a moment. And we're going to just set up some roundtable conversations and we'll provide some dessert, some light snacks, and but we want to hear from you. And so on the, on the first gathering, on June 21st, we want to give some space just to hear how you're doing. How have you been, how has it been to try to navigate the changes that have happened, not just in the church, but just in society at large? How are you doing? Because we've been through a lot. We've, we've been through a lot, and we want to hear... How is it that you've been walking through all of this? But we also want to discuss how we listen to God and how we listen to one another. What does it mean to have a, a, a posture where we are, we're putting ourselves in a place of hearing and listening, discerning the movement of God in, in this moment, and turning our hearts and minds towards hearing God's heart? And then at this gathering on, on June 21st, we're going to hand out a notebook to everybody. And we're going to ask you just to, take some notes, to, to just write and to journal some. 
over the next few weeks because we're going to provide some, some questions, some prompts in a way of, of things that we want you to be meditating on, that we want you to be praying about, that we want you thinking on and just laying before God and, and just kind of saying, all right, God, what is it you're saying right now in this moment? And asking you just to write down those things that God brings to the surface. What, what does God bring to the forefront when you hear these questions, when you hear these prompts? And then when we gather back together on July 19th, we want to share. We want to share some of those thoughts around, around your table. We're not going to ask you to get up in front of everybody to speak. I mean, unless you really wanted to. But, but we want to hear how has God been speaking to you? What have you been sensing? What have you been hearing that God has been stirring inside of your heart for our church family here at Livingstones? And then when we gather on August 16th, we're going to try to put it all together, try to connect the dots with the, the themes and the ideas and the thoughts that we've been hearing over those previous two months. And using that input and that feedback that we've received from our church family and really putting together how we feel God is directing us as we move forward into this new landscape, this new season. And so uh, just a, a few things about these, these family conversations. First, I want you to know you are welcome and you are invited. You're welcome and you're invited. This is not by any means an exclusive club. This isn't just for people that have been here for a while or that feel like they're at a place that they're just walking so close with God that they just hear, uh, you know, just have this intimate, close connection with him. But if this is your church home, please come. Please come. Please be a part. Be a part of the conversation. Be a part of what it looks like for us as, as we, as we kind of chart this new way forward. And so whether you've been here for five decades or five decades in two minutes, I think is what you said, Diana Klipschat, or you've been here for only two weeks, like I want you to know, like you're invited. Come. Be a part with us. And I also want you to know, like, this isn't just related to, you know, like, youth ministry with, with Kyle transitioning out of, of director of student ministries. This is just kind of an overall conversation about where we are as a church. And so our young people, our students, like, you're absolutely invited. Like, we, we, want, we want to have a wide range of, of, of experiences. Like, I, like I've, I haven't been a teenager. I'm 42. I haven't been a teenager for almost a quarter century, like, and a lot has changed in that time. And so our young people, we want to hear from you too. And so there, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have more information to share with you just about these conversations. But if you are able to, on those Wednesday nights, on June 21st, July 19th, August 16th, we want to ask you, would you come? Would you be a part? Would you pray? Would you listen? Would you meditate? Would you join in that conversation with us? And so I'm going to close just with just a, on, a, on a personal note here. I know this is, this is hard. It is hard. This has been a difficult few years, full of lots of changes, realignments, adaptations. But in the end, I, I truly am optimistic. And I'm not saying that just because I'm the pastor and that's what I'm supposed to say. Like, I really am excited about what God's going to do next. It's, it's scary, no doubt, because I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to look, but I do know that God is still with us. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, And I am certain 
Like, he, he, he has no doubt in his mind whatsoever. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Like, I want you to hear that. Like, God began a good work in here. God began a good work in this church. And we're a part of that good work. We're a part of that good work that God has been doing. He began it and he's going to continue it until the day he returns. He's not left. He's still working. And and that's part of what we want to hear. That's part of what we want to discern is where is God working? What is he up to? And how can we partner with what God is already doing? And I trust and I I truly believe that, that there are great things ahead, that the Rocky Mountains in front of us, they seem daunting and they seem challenging. But if you've ever been to the Rockies, they're beautiful. And so while, it's, while it might be difficult, while it might feel intimidating at times, while it might seem like, all right, now what? Things can be difficult and beautiful all at once. And I believe that's what, what God is directing us to. And so I'm, I'm going to pray right now. And I'm asking you, would you... Would you be a part of this with us? Would you be a part of this journey, this story that God is still writing? So I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Lord, I, I just thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love and your goodness. I want to thank you for the story of Living Stones Church. I want to thank you for those faithful saints that came before us, that, that have paved the way, that, that have uh, toiled in good days and bad, in, in, in seasons of abundance and seasons of famine, Lord, that, that, you, that those faithful saints that have paved this way for us to be here today, Lord, that we would continue what they began, what, God, what you began. And Lord, ultimately, we, we just trust you. We trust that, that you are still at the helm, that you are the one that is steering this ship and that you, Father, are not done, but that you have great things in store for us, Lord. So God, we, we just pray that you would just attune our minds and our hearts to hear from you today as we move forward over these next number of months, as, as, we, as we discern, like, how do, we, how do we traverse these rocky mountains in front of us? God, we're trusting and knowing that you are present, that you are faithful, that just as Chuck stated, Lord, that every, every time things seemed difficult, that things seemed bleak, Lord, that you showed up. And God, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your incredible grace and mercy, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you, to be a part of your redemption story and sharing your kingdom with others. So Father, walk with us. Lead us. Be the one out front that we are following behind, Lord. And we're going to trust you every step of that way. In Jesus' name.